This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, everybody. My name is John Mariano, and I'm from the Feeding the Monster podcast feed. I am here to let you know that we have a plethora of shows on the Feeding the Monster podcast feed, and whatever you do, do not tune in. You don't want to hear from Corey Morissette, Jeff Hillbilly, Scripps Saunders, Mark Eden Klyer, Thomas Russling, or myself. All of our shows are hot garbage. They are structured stupidity, and they are not worth your listen. So whatever you do, do not tune in to the Feeding the Monster podcast feed. We do not want any new fans at all. Back to you. Why We Love Star Wars by Ken Napsuck is a collection of little love letters to the greatest saga ever told, and a personalized copy can be yours today. Just go to KenNapsuck.com and choose the Shop tab. There, you'll find options to purchase exclusive poster art designed by movie trivia Schmodown star Janine Bryce, a signed copy of Why We Love Star Wars, and collector Napsuck file cards. Already have a copy of the book but still want an author's signature? Then check out the book plate package. Get a signed book plate sticker and a 3D printed keychain sent straight to your spaceship. Go to KenNapsuck.com for pricing and shipping information. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of dawn to the lands of always winter, what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Cat Napsuck. Episode 82 of the show proper. But episode six of this Game of Thrones full rewatch, we have been diving into the themes, the lessons, and the moments of this show that we love so much. And please, without further ado, welcome back to the show, the always wonderful, the always expert in all things Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, the person who helps me remember, wait, it was Viserys, then it was, uh, then came, uh, Je- no, Jaharis first, got it, it's Rachel Cushing. <laughs> Hello, how are you? I love my genealogy. What can I say? <laughs> You're so good at it. And you know, we're going to talk about big casting news. Uh, mm-hmm. First, though, that, now that I have you here, Rachel, you know, you and I, you've been, we've been talking Game of Thrones for a mm-hmm. number of years now. But yeah. we got to announce up top. Uh, we got to confirm for those uh, listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube. You are part of the live Riley's Cantina, the live stream from El Cid. And you are actually going to be there at El Cid with us Saturday, October 10th, 7 p.m. Pacific time. Show will live uh, for a couple days. The link will live uh, if, if you can't watch it live. We understand that sometimes the case. You go to TicketWeb.com or go to KatNapsock.com, the events tab. You'll get to, uh, get to a direct link to the event. 
Uh, going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be silly. Rachel, uh, Star Wars, this is going to be fun talking something new with you on that show. I know. I mean, Star Wars is is one of the first film loves I ever had, but it gets lost in the shuffle when I, you know, joined the YouTube community and yeah. did the showdown and all that stuff. I'm like, I'm known as a Lord of the Rings girl and a Game of Thrones girl, but I'm a Star Wars girl, too. And it's it. so exciting to me to be able to talk uh, to both you and Riley about it while drinking wine. I yes. mean, that's another real big favorite thing of mine. So um, I'm really excited to, to see you guys in person yeah. um, safely. But yeah. to be able to geek out um, in in the ways that we do on the show, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So everyone, we'll, we'll talk about it at the end of the show as well. But you can you can get that there. Uh, tickets if you want uh, live stream. If you get the VIP, you get exclusive shirts, uh, merch, and a live stream after. Uh, and then uh, there's general mission tickets as well. But enough of the sales pitch. We got a lot to get to. We're going to talk about episode yeah. six, which is a golden crown. But Castle Talk is still a Game of Thrones podcast mm-hmm. and, and Song of Ice and Fire and House of the Dragon. And we got some big House of the Dragon news, Rachel. Patty Considine or Considine, you and I are debating on which. And we did try to Not research sure. that. <laughs> um, he's been in a lot of things, uh, the outsider of the third day. But when I see him, I go, oh, yeah, another person from Hot Fuzz at Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Rachel. He is playing King Viserys Targaryen. What do you think about this and what the show might be about? This is some fun speculation. Yeah, this is pretty much solidifying that we're talking about a series. While it's called House of the Dragon, we're talking about the Dance of the Dragons. Like, this is it. (laughs) Um, Not sure we're going to get Aegon or Aenys or Mego or any of that stuff. We might not even get Jaehaerys. Um, but we are definitively getting Viserys the first mm. and the tale of his two children who started Targaryen civil war. And I am very here for it. <laughs> this is, yeah, you've been, uh, you've been, uh, kind of banging this, uh, Targaryen drum, so to speak of this is what you want. And, and, uh, I am, uh, looking at the genealogy right now. I'm cheating, even though I love fire <laughs> and blood and you and I have talked about it and Thomas Risley mm-hmm. and I have talked about it. Love Fire and Blood. You know, there's a lot of names, but this is, this is, this is, and, and he's being billed as a lead or a co-star and, and you know, hey, so was Sean Bean. I know, uh, that's, <laughs> we've learned. <laughs> so what do you, uh, what do you think here? Because it, it, it does, this is the dance. Uh, Renera, Damon Targaryen, all that stuff. Uh, this is what's uh, coming out of some of, uh, you know, Viserys' uh, life and uh a, a, you know, a life and family align here. So uh, how excited, what do you think specifically we might be getting? Uh, the one thing I'm a little unsure of is how early in Viserys' reign we're going to start. I mean, Paddy Considine is, you know, uh, not a young man necessarily. So it yeah. does feel like, you know, he'll already have Rhaenyra. Mm-hmm. And then do we come into this story We'll have to have a little bit of history. We have to talk about the Great Council of 101, which decided Viserys would inherit the crown from Jaehaerys, his grandfather, yeah. rather than the son of his cousin, who was the daughter of Jaehaerys' oldest son. It got pretty complicated, um, but ultimately the realm decided that Viserys, as the son of Jaehaerys' second son, Balon, would become um, the king. And he was already married, and he had a daughter, Rhaenyra. Yeah. Now we know his first wife, Ama, dies, and the high towers, those scheming high towers, uh-huh. weaseled their way into the crown, and mm-hmm. that's when Viserys married Alicent Hightower. And I think that's going to be our end point. That would be my guess, that you know the realm has 
a, a, a stable king. Viserys was well liked, mm-hmm. not maybe as smart or um, uh, an Savvy. epitome yeah. of Targaryenism as mm-hmm. Jaehaerys was. But generally speaking, the realm was in a good place. Right. The his daughter Rhaenyra was called the realm's delights. Like everything's great. And yeah. then the king decides to remarry, and you know. And there's like Damon being the younger brother is it was mm-hmm. also in line for the throne. So he's a big character. And then we have Reyna and Corliss Valerian and their twins. And there's, I go down a rabbit hole clearly, but I do think we start with mm-hmm. the realm in a good place. We have a stable King. He has an heir, even though it's a girl. And then he decides to get remarried and almost immediately his new wife has a son. So yeah. what do we do now? We have a daughter heir who Viserys wants to be his Mm -hmm. successor, but now we have a son and, you know, Viserys himself is the king because the realm decided to choose a man over a woman. The the lineage went through the, um, the male line rather than the female line with Reyna. So I, that's, that's my best guess. You know, things are great until Mm -hmm. those high tech. Yeah, to the hot towers come in, and, and yeah, Aegon the uh, second is uh, this is kind of goes into that battle. Uh, yeah, Damon the uncle, who also becomes the husband <laughs> of uh, Rhaenyra, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm looking at the line right now, and I think I think you're right, and I think what you're talking about here from we'll see how far because I don't think this is just a flashback. We're gonna get something. How far into a first season does that marriage to Alison Hightower, uh, the, uh, all the, the, you know, the, the greens and the blacks, and we get to see all those events that we all love and how they can really make it clear cut. You and I are familiar with it. You're really familiar with this line and the names, and I am as well, but then get lost in the shuffle. How does sure. a general audience that's going, cool, dragons, Targaryens, got it. Whoa, what is going on here? That's an uncle. That's a husband. It's an uncle. It's an husband, uncle. Uh, and, and it leads to this, you know, how they can get that story out in the best way possible in season one. That's that's the big question I have now. And I'll nope. be curious to see, too, in terms of how fast do we get to, you know, the realm breaking apart? You know, yes. it was there were a lot of dominoes and a lot of players. And, and yes, they have to simplify it to an extent. But I can only imagine that certain HBO executives are, are sort of salivating at dragon on dragon action. Yes. So how fast do we get to the actual Dance of the Dragons, the actual civil war? You do have <laughs> to kind of speed through some years, yeah. potentially, yeah. because there is an age gap between Rhaenyra and Aegon. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'll be curious to see where we touch, where we start, and then maybe they speed things up to get to those events or do they actually let it breathe you know much like game of thrones let the first season be about setting the stage setting Mm -hmm. the pieces setting the characters let's fall in love with these characters let's get to know them and then when the realm starts to splinter then it has impact and and you you feel for everybody and then you get Mm -hmm. all of the you know uh battle and and epicness that you could possibly want but you know, that, that's yeah. a, a balance that somebody yeah. is making a decision about. Now. Ryan Condal and Miguel Sapache, and of course, George R. R. Martin's there helping as well as he did early on with the, the, the main show. Yeah, you know, and it's funny, I don't listen to you talk, and I'm like, you know, I'm thinking the dance, the fires, uh, the, the literal <laughs> fires, uh, the, 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 the small folk rising up, killing the dragons, all those wonderful big events. But then I'm kind of, you know, we're doing this rewatch, and, and I'm here I am and living in season one of Game of Thrones again. I'm like, you're right, Rachel. I take your time. Make the make the dance season three. I don't care. I yeah. really would love to spend some time in this world and kingdom again. Kingdoms. 
Agreed. Yeah. So, Patty Considine or Considine, you know, you know, you try to look this. I, I, I'm a good, you know, former Schmoes newsman. I look up names out of Sam, and sometimes he just roll the dice. But he, very funny too. So, uh, you know, it's almost to me a little bit. He's gone, done, gone, gone uh, and done some great work in the Outsider in the Third Day, like I said. Slightly like uh, reminiscent of Mark Addy being cast yeah. as King Robert Rathian, and it's like the full Monty guy. All right, let's see what mm-hmm. he can do. So. Yeah. All right, House of the Dragon. We'll keep y'all up to date uh, when this uh, we get more information, more stories, uh, more news, and more, which will only lead to more speculation. We are looking at episode six of season one, a golden crown, and oh boy, Rachel, this is uh, this is where things really start to pick up. We've been diving into the themes, the lessons, the moments, the things that matter, the little things that mean more now, the foreshadowing, and I just want to. I just want to dive in with uh, what's, what's uh, well, actually, I'll get, I, as we always do, we'll catch up with the information. Original air date, May 22nd, 2011. Director, Daniel Minahan. Uh, writers, uh, the story, we got uh, Benioff and Weiss did the story. They also get a writing credit. But Jane, F- S- S- excuse me, James, S- J- Jane Espenson. You and I both have had long days while we're recording. <laughs> Let's be honest with the folks. Jane Espenson, who's worked on a ton of stuff, including uh, the rebooted Battlestar Galactica. She'd go on from this to work a bunch of stuff. This is her only credit here with Game of Thrones, which it makes me sad because this is a great episode. But I get it. Yeah. She, she moved on to some other things. Yeah. Thoughts on Jane? I, I've loved her since her days on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, like, and right. I follow her on Twitter. And, you know, she's, she's a very talented, very witty, um, you know, really uh, a strong fighter for, yeah. for women in the industry and everything else. And it was great to see, you know, a female writer, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, elbow her way into this writer's room and, and be a part of this. And yep. yeah, I, I think that there are some uh, telltale signs, mm-hmm. uh, particularly with like Cersei and Danny um, in, yep. in this episode that I really, really like. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because uh, you get some uh, just a real, real brutal bad moment from Robert here striking Cersei. And, and, and mm-hmm. I feel uh, I feel slightly more comfortable knowing that she maybe had a hand in really delivering the raw ugliness of that. And with some mm-hmm. level of respect, as harsh as it was. And the show rightfully criticized at times for the way it handled some of these issues. And you see it. You see it with Danny and stuff at the end. You, you see the perspective. It, it is powerful. Uh, and uh, this is her only one for the show. Uh, but, I, I, you know, again, she went on to some other great things and it all already done, like you said, the Buffy, but I was focused on the Battlestar. Uh, great career. So there you go. Uh, cinematographer Matthew Jensen and editing Martine Nicholson. Uh, this is both uh, their first uh, go around with the show. I was going to ask you this. You being a professional editor, Rachel, we've talked about the importance of editing. Editing for a show. Uh, scripted, non-scripted, doesn't matter. When there's a bunch of editors working on one show, can you shed some insight and light onto what it's like to kind of work on that in that situation where there's maybe two or three or more of you working on one show to capture the look, but you're also passing the baton around episode to episode? Just uh, what, what's your thoughts on that and, and, and the importance of it? Because editing is everything for a lot of these shows and movies. Yeah, based on the schedules for these kinds of shows, one editor can't possibly do 10 hours, you know, for for the season. So there's usually, I think on Game of Thrones, they had two to three editors a season, you know, depending on a variety of things. But, you know, the like almost everything in filmmaking, television making, uh, communication is key. You know, you have to constantly be in contact with the other editors. Um, It's a little bit easier in scripted because things are planned out in advance, but you're still looking for the through lines. You're looking for the threads. You know, as you edit footage, 
the lines are important. They're all there. But the choices you're often making are who are you with when they're delivering a line? Are you with the person delivering the line or are you on a reaction shot from the person who's receiving that line? And it's about point of view and it's about, you know, keeping point of views, um, Mm. keeping those arcs intact over the courses of the seasons. So it's just about talking to the other editors. And then of course you have leaders like David and Dan who are jumping from edit bay to edit bay saying, look, we made this decision in this episode, which airs before yours. We'd like to keep that through line going in your episode. So you definitely have a feel of continuity, but then each of these episodes are in and of themselves, mini movies. And so that's why you have the one editor on one episode because then they're keeping it all, you know, straight for themselves. So, you know, bottom line, communication is key and leadership is key um, to to, to keep it all, you know, under the same umbrella. It's it's just one more thing for all properties. Again, this is your line of work. You're, you're, by the way, an award winning editor, we should say. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, It's just one of the things though. when I look at this show and going back to look at it, it is one of those things that you just don't think about. It's not the glitz Mm -hmm. and glamour side of it. It is these editors at their bays, in the rooms, working with the producers to to really capture the look and feel. And it's always, I, I this show, other than one misplaced coffee cup, which was a whole bunch of failures, but no no one person. This show just it is it is consistently every episode you just you just you just feel the great editing that goes into it. And I'm and I'm a layman when it when when it comes to that. You're probably watching it going, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Oh, I can tell. Is that a Jansen? That's a Jansen cut. I got it. I got it. Um, so there you go. Just wanted to ask you about that. All right, let's dive into a golden crown. This is one of my favorite episodes. Uh, I want to know uh, right from you, uh, Rachel, some of the themes that jumped out to you so we can discuss. There were some, you know, some episodes when you're watching um, themes sort of come at you in terms of general terms. Sometimes I feel a little hit over the head with it with like words. So like I I took away some keywords from this episode. Um, One of them being justice. Um, A lot is done in the name of justice in this episode. Like it's put that way. That's it. Ned is, you know, um, Mm. passing justice and judgment in the name of the King. Mm. Robert himself is actually kind of afraid to do it in the opening scene because he's got his hand and his wife at each other's throats because, you know, everybody is, is starting this ball rolling with the Lannisters versus the Starks. And he basically just doesn't want to deal with it. Mm. And he just goes on a hunt to avoid any like actually following through on any kind of justice. Mm. Tyrion is asking Liza, you know, is this, is this how you do justice in the veil by keeping me in a sky cell after having accused me and then just what that's not real justice but then Braun stands up for Tyrion and his form of justice is a little bit different so it's all in the eye of the beholder um but I was struck by how many people talked about it very specifically and then in a more broad sense how often it comes up in terms of the normal Game of Thrones through the normal Game of Thrones lens, which is it's not black and white. It's not cut and dry. It's all depending on who's dispensing the justice, who the justice is for, you know, and, and is it used or misused or 
yeah. misrepresented. There, there's so much in there, but it definitely stuck out to me um, yeah. as as coming up an awful lot in this episode. I, I yeah, you're absolutely right because sometimes you have, you have to dig and find the through lines, but otherwise, uh, other, other other times you have those words. And I think it was uh, episode two was honor, honor. Honor, mm-hmm. honor, honor. Just you're like you're beating the hit over the head with it. Yeah, justice comes up a lot. And I wanted to uh, one of my uh, themes kind of was tying to the tying into that. And it's more of a question of, of the idea of fighting with honor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm jumping to Braun here and I think it I think it plugs into what you're saying here. Uh, Braun is is he is capital all caps is the dirty player here. With Vardis mm-hmm. Egan, he, Sir Vardis is a, is a knight of the veil. He's he even he's even chivalrous. I I don't want to kill the imp. That that wouldn't uh, that wouldn't be fair. Uh, but I'll <laughs> fight anyone else. Braun shows up, wins. This is one of my favorite sequences. We can talk about that a little bit later. But and then Braun gets understandably. I'm saying you know maybe some quotes around that. Accused of not fighting with honor by Lysa, and he's yeah. Well, he fought with honor, and he's down the moon door. But mm-hmm. do you think going to your idea of justice? Braun, he's a sellsword, he's smart, he already took the gold for the room for Tyrion, he was going to do that, now he's friends with Tyrion, and he's, but he's watching Tyrion give his big uh, confession speech, and Braun's laughing, but kind of right from the get-go just sees, I get what he's doing, I see what's going on here. Don't, do you think, especially watching now, that the justice, the arm is actually swinging in Braun's way, where he's just like, all this is false and a farce. And my honor is actual true justice here. That's the way I'm kind of taking it now. Any, any thoughts or even a counter to that? I'm not sure he thinks about it in such specific Chivalrous, terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that he's got a view of the world, much like somebody like the Hound does. Yes. Like the world has treated him in such a way and he's been like, well, screw the world. I'm going to go through it, you know, yeah. in whatever way I need to to survive given my circumstances and that's survival is all over the show like everybody is doing that and but he's he's not noble and we don't have a ton of small folk characters and so he is one of our endpoints to that way of looking at things and he's the cynical one he's the one who's like i'm basically interested in women and money and you know if fighting gets me one or both of those great And I'm actually kind of good at it because I'm not going to take this super seriously. I'm not going to be chivalrous about it. I'm not a knight. Like, Mm. I can't be those things because the world has told me I can't be because I'm not a noble. Well, Mm. screw you, nobles. I'm going to live it my way. And, you know, and he's kind of living proof. And I think that they loved this so much that that's why he survives the whole series the way that he does, because it's a very valid viewpoint that we don't have a lot of because mm. most of our main characters are from the noble houses and you kind of need that viewpoint. I think the same thing um, is why Roz becomes a little bit more of a, a focal character than maybe they originally intended. I mean, she has that little scene with Theon in this one, yeah. but it shows that she's also very aware of the world, yeah. the way the world really works. The Starks and the Lannisters are at each other's throats that means war. That means all the men in the north are going to be traveling south, and most of them are not coming back. Mm-hmm. Where does that leave me, a, mm. a whore? Mm. Well, I'm so I'm going to take my own life into my own hands, and I'm going to find a better situation. I'm like, yeah. you got to understand that, you know? And so I think that that's the interesting thing about having a Braun-like character. Mm. And then even more interesting is this relationship with Tyrion, because Tyrion is a lord, but he's yeah. a dwarf. And so he has a similar outlook in terms of the world tells me one thing about me that I 
am a certain way because of how I look. So I'm going to turn that to my advantage and I'm going to, to use my books and my brains to manipulate my way out of circumstances just like he did in this situation. So, yeah. I mean, him and Braun are a match made in heaven. It's, I mean, who are we kidding? <laughs> I mean, this is absolutely one of my favorite sequences. No, I, I pre- that, that insight is, is great. I, yeah, you're, you're through characters like Braun where we're looking up at the lords and, and the ladies and really getting that viewpoint that, you know, Jorah mentions in the, in the previous uh, episode to uh, Danny about, you know, the, the, you know, the small folk don't really care about the Game of Thrones, uh, paraphrasing, of course, but just to have that with Braun, Jerome Flynn, he's one of my stars of this episode uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, everything about it. I just said I love his reactions. And I love right before right before he sticks that sword in, in Sir Vardis, he kind of <laughs> looks around and has that beat of just like, all right, I'll, this is what you all want. This is what you all yeah. going to get. And here's justice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here's what it really is. Um, that's great. Great way to start uh, uh, discussing any other uh, any other uh, viewpoints on justice in this episode that jumped out to you. Um. I'll mention it now, but it's one of my favorite moments, so I can come back to mm-hmm. it. But there is a back and forth between Theon and Rob while um, oh, yeah. Bran is riding the horse. Mm-hmm. And Theon is like gung-ho about, you know, mm-hmm. riding south, you know, starting a war, blood for blood, got to go after those Lannisters. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Rob's like, you're talking about war. And Theon says, no, I'm talking about justice. That's really interesting that that's how you see it. And it's not really how Theon sees it. We're going to find out that Theon doesn't have a a concept, true concept of justice just yet. He has too much of an identity crisis going on, you know? So he's probably, it's like one of those things where you spew words that you think mean what you want them to mean, but don't actually mean that. And it's a lesson that he's going to eventually learn. Yeah. But, I do love the warring viewpoints. Like when people go to war, what are the justifications and the provocation of Catelyn kidnapping Tyrion or Jamie going after uh, the Starks and killing Ned's men and, and hurting yeah. him, you know, all of this gets rolled up and now everybody is like, you know, what, what, it's that history belongs to the victors or is told yeah. by the victors. Yeah. It's also indicative in that scene where Cersei and uh, Robert are by Ned's bedside and Cersei lies outright, lies. outright lies and tells a different version of events, which is the yeah. version she's going to spread around to justify yeah. Ned was drunk coming out of a brothel and attacked Jamie's men. That's not what happened. But if the Lannisters win this war, mm-hmm. that's what happened. What, and that's yeah. how history. Yeah. It, and that's like, it's it's one of my favorite things about Martin is he recognizes history is written by the victors. And so he's showing us that as it's happening. As it's and for and us, it's so like, un, like you get so angry and, and on Ned's behalf. You're like, no, that's not what happened. <laughs> but as far as the, the, the world mm-hmm. is concerned, mm-hmm. That that is the version that will likely you know win the day, and it's fascinating. It's one of yeah. the best well, parts of these stories. Yeah, uh, and all of this gets tied into that. So again, like, mm-hmm. what is justice? Who is administering justice? In whose name? Why? You can argue your way into that yeah. because you're the one who comes out on the other side. Yeah, and I'm, I'm you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking of uh, Cersei and, and 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 her scene with Joffrey. Was that episode three? Of, uh, you know, when you're king, history will be whatever you want it to be. <laughs> it's right. your world. 
uh, the yeah. lesson learned there. Uh, yeah, a lot going on there. Yeah, I, I definitely want to come back to that Rob and Theon scene because there's some other stuff in there that uh, some other angles to that scene I want to discuss too. One of the things uh, themes that I have here, and, and we'll, we'll we'll ping pong our themes here, uh, was uh, and this and this I will say this came from watching. I love watching those inside the episode things after. And, and DB Weiss is the one who says uh, this this episode he calls it the the top of the roller coaster, and we've hit the top and we're starting to go down. And to me, the theme of the downward spiral, which to me is kind of these fatal mistakes that these characters have made or are in the process of making that you can't necessarily come back from. Uh, And and roll call with some of them for me, and then we can dive in here, Rachel, on what you think about this, and and I'm sure some have missed. I'm talking big and small of just King Robert. We talked about that scene, but King Robert slapping Cersei to me is is, is a loss of humanity, and and Ned's face is, is... very telling. Very telling. And it, it's like, who are you? It's not good. And, 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 and Robert gives kind of the foe. I shouldn't have done that. It wasn't kingly. But beyond that, um, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's one step too far. And now, like you said, now he doesn't even want to be around to deal with repercussions of that, repercussions of what he's got to do. Doesn't want to serve justice. He's going to run away. We know leads to his death. And to me, this is one of those, talk, now, now we're sliding. He is too far. And that hit... It's not a small hit to me. It is not, and nor should it be, by the way. But just like that, the Ned's reaction is this: "This ain't Robert. His humanity is gone." And I don't know who this guy is. You know? Yeah, and it's our moment to to feel for Cersei because you know mm-hmm. her her response to me is is what makes it work, yeah. along yeah. with Ned's look. But like, I'll wear this as a badge of honor. So you just know that this has happened before you know, that this is what she's dealing with. I'm not saying she didn't necessarily, you know, deserve to be treated in a way that, you know, calls her on her BS, Yeah, but doesn't deserve to be hit like that. Yeah. And you can see that, you know, in all of her machinations and, you know, as we will find out relatively quickly that she's behind the death of Robert, right. that you, Again, it's I've I've often said about Cersei. I'm like it doesn't vindicate her. It doesn't, Mm-mm. you know. I, I, she's still a villain. Yeah. But I understand her more when you have moments like this happen. And it, Robert is such a coward mm-hmm. for the supposedly brave person that he was in in right. what he accomplished during you know um, the rebellion. He's he's he runs and hides from all of this. All if he can't kill it to solve the problem, if he can't kill a person to solve the problem, then he doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah. And that's ultimately not good for anybody in this situation, but mm-hmm. Cersei and the Lannisters are the ones that take control of it and yeah. basically said, all right, getting rid of this because yep. it's not, it's not even just, you know, not helping the realm, but it's, he's right in our way too. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, a lot going. On. Yeah, yeah, no, and the idea, yeah, and she tells Joffrey in that you know same in that same speech we're referencing of just you know a little nicety will work, uh, and that's I take that as a lot of different ways, but also kind of Cersei saying, you know, if your dad, uh, your dad was nicer to me, I would be planning to kill him as well. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Well, um, some mm-hmm. other ones here. I want uh, we got uh, Catelyn has put her faith in her sister and now has mm-hmm. lost her bargaining bargaining chip with Tyrion. She's already kind of like, uh oh, I put my faith in maybe the wrong thing and starts to spiral out of control for her. Viserys, 
Oh boy, he's slid down the slope for good, as we know. We're going to talk about that end scene. Uh, he has made so many mistakes he can't return from. Uh, Ned keeps asking questions, but Ned, the justice, and you talked about this, this, this. Um, Ned's justice stepping in for the king, and we can talk about uh, he strips Gregor Clegane. Uh, he sends Beric Dondarrion out. That's good. That's something that, uh, more foreshadowing. Uh, but he's falling into Baelish's chaos plans. He he is. He is the roller coasters off the rails for him. He just doesn't see it because he's doing what something that I, I would think is 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 good in his mind and his heart, you know. But yeah. he, he he's not going to recover from this one, and he's gone maybe too far. Maybe maybe. You yeah, know? I, I think that that it, the episode goes out of its way to point out that Ned has taken a step too far in this. Yeah. You know, the he's on the border already by resigning the handship. And having the whole issue with Jamie, you know, uh, Robert threatens him before he leaves is like, you know, mm-hmm. take this bat and you back and you'll never quit again or I'll pin the damn thing on you myself. Like yeah. it's he's not learning the the Game of Thrones, the way that this is all yeah. really supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. And Peter's playing him like a fiddle and it's actually really hard to watch. It's, it's so obvious but yeah. he, but Ned is so disillusioned by yeah. Robert that to have this moment of power is almost like I'm going to right all the wrongs yeah. with this one big decision. Yes. And it's a, it's a huge swing too far yeah. because he, I love the, um, the exchange that he has with Peter mm-hmm. where Peter says money wins wars and, soldiers, um, yeah. and Ned comes back with then why is Robert King and not Tywin who we get pointed out all up and down this episode how rich the Lannisters are. I mean, yes. Tyrion does it like it's 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 everywhere. Yeah, and of course, again, knowing the future and knowing that they're actually broke is an interesting yeah. you know way to watch to go back and rewatch now. Yes, but um, that that's a naive thing for Ned to say. Yeah, because yeah. he's he's not acknowledging that power is not. I mean, he should know at this point. Robert's the king. It doesn't actually have much power right now. I think yeah. that that's getting clearer and clearer. He doesn't want it, so that's part of it. But there's more to it than that. And just because Robert is king doesn't mean Tywin's not actually the person running the realm here. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening. And it's just, you, you just, Ned's doing what's right, mm-hmm. but he's doing it the wrong way. And and yes. you you see it. As he's, mm-hmm. as he's making all these declarations, and they're all for the good, you also can see the dominoes falling you know that this is going to bite him in the ass like even your first time watch you know that this isn't going to go well i mean yeah you're right even six episodes six episodes into season one even if you're not a book reader you're kind of screaming uh, you you know baelish you know the whole thing uh, i'm doing it for cat and all that kind of stuff but in this scene it's it's so wonderfully over the top Uh, isn't that the Tully sigil? <gasps> Do yeah. you think anyone could? Why would they be? It's it's and the net, the fact that Ned can't see it, like he said, he's just so like I I am here. This is my shot. This is like a Hugh Jackman musical. This is this is my time. I'm gonna be me, and I'm standing in for Robert. And I need to make up for a lot of things. And mm-hmm. like you said, doing something right, maybe the wrong way, and it does kind of bite him. In the neck, maybe? Ooh, too soon, too soon. A couple more here, then we'll d- start diving in here. Um, Joffrey turns up the sweet factor on Sansa. It's it's sickening. But to me, I was watching this. I was like, this ties into this theme of of the roller coaster, roller coaster going down. Because poor Sansa is like, my all oh, my dreams that I had, oh, they're back on track. 
Yeah. And she fall. It doesn't just that she falls for it. To me, it's like this is now her path to where she's going to end up on that. Uh, you know, the day there while her father's beheaded. Like this is this to me is the moment where she's in now. She's hooked. She's hooked. He's got her. Uh, he played it. Uh, you know, took the advice from his mom. Uh, you know, very well. And to me, this is a slippery slope that now Sansa's sliding down too, which is sad because I just, you know, especially on this rewatch, Rachel, I'm rooting for Sansa more than I ever did because I know what happens. You know? Yeah. No, it's it's true, but um, but yeah, they they really set the stage well with that, with the way that she treats her septa, mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. that really cutting. Where are you from? Oh wait, I don't <laughs> care. And it's like, oh, Cersei, yeah. when did you show up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm. It's it's you know it it, but yeah. it, it's it's important yeah. to remember and realize that as a 13, 14 year old girl caught up not only in a fairy tale but in a real in real life it's a fairy tale in real life she's expected mm-hmm. to love and obey and cherish and you know fawn over joffrey in every way and she also gets to be queen so she gets yeah. to wear her hair the way she wants to she right. gets to boss people around she gets to be that epitome mm-hmm. without realizing what that actually means yeah. um and she's just allowing herself to be manipulated and Joffrey goes full tilt with it. So, I mean, it's not dissimilar to Peter manipulating Ned, like it, it, in different ways, but you're still getting that sense that the people who are really going after the power mm-hmm. are using these naive Starks to get there. Yeah, it's, it's, it was hard for me in, in a good way. I mean, in that good Game of Thrones way, hard for me to watch this time around. I, it's a scene I'm so familiar with. But now, when, and especially when I was connecting it to these themes, just like, oh, Sansa, you're sliding. You're sliding down the slope. You don't even know. A couple more. I, 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 I want to discuss at the end, we got a call to uh, about Danny and, and what I think about that. But you you brought up the excellent Rob and Theon scene, which uh, leads to the, the free folk showing up, Osha, Stiv, uh, and the gang uh, causing problems for Bran there. That's its own scene. But the conversation before, I looked at this as a bit of a fatal mistake for Rob, when you see what happens, and we get to know Rob, Rob more in the show than in the books, we we know that. Theon, and, you, and you're right, great stuff about justice, and he's just spouting some words. He's, he's a bit of hothead. He's, he's got some problems. Theon's got some problems. But we know what's going into it. I think, and especially with what he does here, saving Bran, which is a moment that means more to me now as well, too, at the end of the show. Theon, Theon, you mentioned the identity crisis, which you're correct about. This is one of those moments where Theon has some, like, I'm a Stark to him, if he, even if he doesn't say it, and and Rob and Rob Stark just is kind of like, yeah, yeah, it ain't your house. And I'm watching yeah. this going, oh, Rob, if you had been softer there, if you had heard what he was maybe trying to say and not got hung up in your own responsibilities and and your own discovery of who you are and who you're supposed to be with this newfound power and sense of justice, it might have gone differently. He might have gone yeah. differently. He might have sent you that letter instead of burned it. Yeah, it, it brings it back to themes that you've talked about, too, the uh, theme of duty. Mm. You know, Theon's trying to convince Rob to his point of view about this by saying it's your duty to your house to represent it when your father can't. And at that point, they real, they know that uh, Ned has been attacked and is, yeah. for all they know, incapacitated. And for Rob to turn back to him and say, yeah, that's great, but it's not your duty because it's not your house. Mm-hmm. That's that's going to get that's the core of the identity crisis that Theon is going through. And this is really the first time we've heard him talk about 
the Iron Islands much, right. and it's tied into another theme that I'll bring up in a second, but the idea that, you know, he does have a past with a different house and a different group of people, yet he's basically been raised as a Stark and frankly treated like one for the most part. Yeah. But it almost reminds you of like how Catelyn would dig at John. Rob's comment here sort of digs at that, you're not really one of us, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's echoed with like Viserys being like, oh, her son's not going to be a real dragon, not going to be a real mm-hmm. target. It's like this whole idea of, you know, the family that you have and then the family that you choose, because we know that that is so important later, especially for Theon. But it's even hit on here again with Robert telling Ned, I hate my brothers. You're not supposed to hate your brothers. Right. You're the brother I chose. And so, you know, these family dynamics within the house names, but also with the people that, you know, become associated with those houses is always an underlying current with all of these characters. Mm. And this we see very clearly between Rob and Theon. Mm. And since we know where it goes, it's just, you know, it's heartbreaking because you know what the road he's going to go down and the things that he's going to suffer because he didn't truly feel like Stark when frankly, that's what he all, that's pretty much what he wanted. It's when you look back, man, Theon's easy to hate. He really, now that's a credit to Alfie Allen as a performer. He's easy to hate. But you go back and you watch this show from the beginning with all eight seasons now. There's these little signposts along the way. I teed that up and you just hit that down the fairway almost right on the green. We're going to have an easy putt. Thanks, Rachel. That's some insightful stuff on that scene. All right, so I'm going to take the Danny thing that I want to bring up. I'm going to move it a little bit to the end because we got this call. I want to go back to your themes, but we're going to get to Danny. We're going to get to Danny. And also, by the way, I didn't even realize that I'm making my notes the second time uh, I was watching this episode today. It's like, this is a, this is like two episodes in a row with no Jon Snow. I can't even imagine yeah. that. By the time we get to season eight, the fact that there yeah. wasn't Jon Snow in episodes seems really weird. <laughs> but, it's Those early episodes would go episodes without hitting a major character. Yeah. You know, it, every single one. I think the only character we've hit every episode this season is Ned. Right. Everybody else has gone on hiatus for an episode or two because there are so many stories and they're all disparate stories. That's one of the crazy things about the first half of the series versus the second half, because I remember that momentum shift when characters started to come together. Characters Mm -hmm. that had never had any interaction before now are suddenly in the same space or in the same city or coming together and and forming different kinds of alliances and and whatnot. So, you know, that's the trajectory of the show. But when you start... You're all over the place and you couldn't do episodes that checked in everywhere because yeah. your scene would be minuscule and you wouldn't get the depth that you really need. You need I really like the balance though. Like I did not watch this episode and finish it thinking, I wish I had checked in with John. Well, like I felt like we had yeah. the last time we checked in with him, we, we'd gotten the progress and the forward momentum and Sam and, yeah. and everything that Tyrion taught him is all percolating in his head and he's working his way through things. So we know that's what he's doing up there. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're checking in with these people. Yeah. And no, it's like, it, it, it didn't hit me. And, and it's so funny. Cause again, uh, as I say a lot and I get it, uh, if you hear it over and over, I hadn't read the books going into this season coming out of it is when I really started diving into that. So I didn't know I was taking the story as it, as it just kind of flows out in front of me. So when Ned dies, you know, a couple episodes later, our buddy Christian Harloff calls me and he was in the same boat. Hadn't read the books, loved the show. And we're both kind of doing that like, oh, God, I can't believe Ned died. Like what in the world were we are were you so used to just American television where everyone lives happily ever after? Uh, and, and Christian says to me, he goes, 
well, this is uh, this has got to be Jon Snow's show now. And I remember thinking, like, really? Like, he's, like, barely in it. <laughs> you know, like, like just taking season one and, and, and not the whole scope of everything hadn't, I, I just didn't know. And, and just in that sense of just like, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. I would think maybe Rob. <laughs> so there you yeah. go. It depends on where you're, I think that that's a temperament thing or what you lean towards. Like, I know I read the books, but I still think I would have leaned towards John because John is part of the fantasy aspect of the show because you have the white and you have, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, is coming up in the episode and, and he saves uh, Mormont and, and they make the decision to go north. And, you know, the, he's on the cusp of how the whole series started. Yeah. There is a Game of Thrones happening and we are so intrigued and entrenched in that and it's got all of these characters that we love and we love to hate and we want to know more and that's the core but on the periphery are these fantasy elements and which of ned's sons is involved in which rob's involved in the the politics and the in the grounded and the the history whereas john's involved in the fantasy and the bigger larger looming threat Mm -hmm. so to me being the fantasy person that i am you know always was like that's going to be the big thing. Right. I've, I said from the beginning, all you people playing the Game of Thrones, you're you're not no. paying attention to the real thing. Like this yeah. is not the important thing. There's another more important thing happening. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, but it's interesting to, I mean, and that's deliberate. It's yeah. to have the two sons of Ned and yeah. what are they each going to do without him in the world? And, you know, which yeah. story, you know, will you um, glom onto? No, great stuff, and you're you're, you're you're making me think of the ocean line that's coming in in the next couple episodes here. Of tell your brother he's marching the wrong way, which always gets me like that nerd chill, like oh no, there's something coming. Like when she mentions Mance, yeah. it's such a throwaway. Yeah, but it's like you know what Mance would give us for him, and the others are like, we're not going back north, we're going south. <laughs> yeah, as far south as south goes. All right, uh, other themes. Yeah, I know you got some other ones. We'll put that Danny thing at the end of this uh, conversation. Uh, we got a great call to, to tag with that there. Uh, what, what are some of the other themes you got there? There was another word that popped out a lot. There's two specific instances, but I do think this also, in a bigger sense, does tie into Danny and a lot of the characters. Okay. Um, and I'll just call it what makes a man. Because in two yeah. different instances in this show, two different characters talk about what when do you become a man? Mm. You know, mm. what is it an age thing? Is it a, you know, uh, the first time you have sex thing? Like what, mm. it, what is it? Yeah. And Theon says that in the iron islands, you aren't a man until you've killed your first enemy. Right. And so this is part of that conversation that he has with Rob and then dealing with the wildlings and the aftermath of that. And clearly it's what Theon wants more than anything yeah. is to be considered a man and to be considered important and relevant um, and a part of things and a part of a family. Yeah. So he thinks that he has just crossed that threshold. Mm-hmm. What I think is interesting is in that moment, Rob is also killed, who I presume to be his first enemy. Right. Right. So Rob is also um, stepping onto the threshold of being a man, but he's a little bit more conflicted and reticent about it. Yeah. And Theon also calls Bran a brave little man in that moment um, when Bran says, I can't feel it. I'm not hurt. Like he's putting on a brave face yeah. and, the compliment that Theon can think to give him is to call him a man. Mm. Um, and then in a different scene, in the hunting scene, hunting scene, we know George Martin's least favorite yeah. scene. <laughs> Which we <laughs> know. No, no, yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but Robert is digging at Renly, because that's what big brothers do. Mm. And, uh, and Renly has some great comebacks about, you know, Robert's like, 
back in the day, it was so great and all this stuff. And he's like, back in what day? When the realm was at odds and a million people died? Or was it when the Mad King was burning women and babies because voices were talking to him? Or was it even before that, when dragons were burning whole cities? Like, mm. when was ba- when were things good back in the day, Robert? Um, but Robert was saying that you become a man when you've slept with a woman from each of the seven kingdoms. Right. And then if you yeah. get the eighth, it's the woman from Riverlands. Mm. So... This is so that in Robert's head is what makes you a man. This is in Theon's head what makes you a man. You know, Ned from the beginning of the series making Bran watch the first beheading, like he's old enough to be a man, he's got to face these things. Like all of the younger characters are on that precipice, Mm. but it 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 is as important to the older characters too, because Robert is talking about what makes you a man. That's not what makes you a man. In fact, you're not exhibiting any characteristics of being a man in the situation right now you just ran away mm-hmm. from Every, the trouble yeah. in your capital to go on a hunt you're not acting like a man mm-hmm. the Harris is having all kinds of trouble with this and it's compounded by the fact that if you broaden this out and it's not just about what makes a man but it's what makes a leader mm-hmm. what makes a person someone that other people pay attention to and follow so now we're seeing danny take that role from Viserys and that is it from him. <laughs> so emasculating for him yeah. <laughs> and serious trouble for him ultimately mm. but it's this idea of all of these characters trying to make the right choices to be important and relevant and right yeah. and they're all doing it in different ways some right some wrong and it's just mm. interesting to me to have them talk about it so literally, but then also yeah. in, I think, a lot of figurative ways too. Yeah, I was going to divide that up, and it's just yeah, the conversation you, you said leader, and that's that's a good way to talk about about what's a, a leader, a ruler, and all that kind of stuff, and and, and that's Danny and all those all those going forward, and that that to me is a lot of John's story, but the literal side of it too, especially in a show um, that took some. You know, we mentioned this is uh, Jana Essipson's only credit on the show. The show could have used more female writers in the room, particularly maybe late uh, in, the, in the show's run. I totally agree with that. Um, this is a, you know, it made slightly in a different era, too. Ten years ago, uh, our, our demands were, you know, growing as an audience, maturing as an audience. For have, for have this kind of show, which is swords and sex and violence and all those kind of things, to to openly comment on what makes a man, and everyone in this episode is who's proclaiming it is doing the opposite of that, you know, or or learning. I think which which excellent with Rob and Theon kind of balancing how to deal with it, because even talking about making the eight, as Robert's talking about it, he he said something to Selmy, to Barrison Selmy, and Ian McElhenney plays it so well because. Ian McElhenney, uh, you know, Sir Barristan Selmy has already shown he's more of a man than Robert just in this season alone, just by his compassion for standing by <laughs> Sir Hugh and just his reputation and not proclaiming it, you know, the man the man who, you know, has to say he's king is no king at all type of thing with Barristan. And Barristan just kind of like says, like, no, sir, I, I, I paraphrase him, but like, no, 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 sir, I, I don't think I did that. You know, just kind of like not needed. For me, not what I got, you know, not my, my not part of my makeup. And the, for the show, then f- to to take that into John and John Snow's arc, the the boy who would be king who decides that that isn't for me and becomes more of a quote unquote man through his uh, compassion, his leadership, standing before the Night's Watch and going against their traditions and getting killed for it. The, it's there for the show. It is. It is there, and it's something that I think I'm going to focus on even a little bit more. I'm so glad you brought it up because it is in this episode a lot. 
Um, it's, it's there. It's, it's just, it's planting the seeds for it. And, you know, in, in, you know, in seasons to come, like, I just can't not think of Eamon, you know, telling John to kill the boy boy. and that's where we're leading with this. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a different path for each of them. And, you know, it, I love how they think it's one thing when they're starting out, but it's going to turn out to probably be something very different specifically with Theon in this case, but eventually with John, I mean, and again, if we're taking the man out of it and we're just putting person in here, then we're definitely going to deal with this with Sansa and Arya and, you know, Bran will get there too. Like there's this, this is a road that they all have to go down, but I did find it very interesting that it was so very specifically stated several times in this episode with that word and then that idea behind it. It, it, It's close, it's close to my heart in the way, because I think some of these, um, you know, I was when I talk Game of Thrones, I go to Star Wars. When I talk Star Wars, I go to Game of Thrones. But I think a lot of what George Lucas put out of Mark Hamill uh, as Luke Skywalker in the 80s, uh, I always talk about, think of Rambo, think of Rocky, and that's nothing against Sly Stallone, but just think of what was going around in the 80s of what what it is to be big, strong, and a man. And here's Luke Skywalker, smaller, slighter frame, literally throwing down his weapon and becoming a warrior in that moment and learning that's what it really is, not the journey. I'm going to go be a great warrior. And Yoda's like, that ain't going to make you great. And that's the message. And so many, no fault of anybody, so many can miss that. And and Luke becomes uh, the, 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 the sword slashing hero that's going to go kick ass, which was never the point. I think yeah. there's some stuff in it's you know probably you know say in Martin's storytelling and and Benioff Weiss and team I think do a, a good job it's there but I've seen friends of mine I have friends of mine who who can misinterpret what Jon Snow is in a shot yeah um, and that's the big strong manly Jon Snow in that classic sense and I like that the show I like that you pointed out Rachel that because uh, it, it's something I've, I've had conversations about of the show might be making more of a comment than people realize. And maybe they can focus on it going forward. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. What is a man? You know, if you're out there listening or watching, what is a man? Ask yourself that question. Get that answer. Uh, but then also the global conversation, like you said, take the man out of it. We're going to deal with that going forward. So anyways, uh, I, I gl- I'm really glad you brought that up. I didn't mean to step on your theme, though. Any other thing? <laughs> nope. That, that, those, those are the big ones for me. Justice and what makes a man. What makes a man? How many roads does a man have to walk? Before he's a man. Uh, all right, so the Danny of it all. The Danny of it all. This is a golden crown. This is the big moment, and we're going to run through uh, some foreshadowing and favorite moments and stuff like that that we always love doing on these episode rewatches. But we got to talk about Daenerys Targaryen eating that horse heart, becoming uh, a Khaleesi in that moment. I love small favorite moment for me, Rachel. The look of pride and love on Cal Drogo's face when she almost chokes and, and, and barfs it up and then does it, and he's like, Yes, that's my lady yep. eating that horse heart. I love that moment. <laughs> um, we talk about fatal mistakes and sliding down in the downward spiral. I would argue with myself that Danny, her roller coaster is right, is still climbing. She's still yeah. got a long way to go. Um, but the idea is maybe there is a bit of a slope that she's gone down and we don't really pick up on it. Uh, as we're watching again, well, I can, I'd say book readers, but even, you know, we don't know where George is taking it after book five right now. 
Uh, we got a great call here, and this will start the conversation. I really, really want to get your thoughts on this because um, I value your insight into all of this, but specifically Daenerys Targaryen. So Jonathan has got a call here on the end of Season 1, Episode 6, and how it ties to Season 8. Hey, Kenny Castle Talk. This is John. Thanks for taking my call a few weeks ago. So my thought this week was about uh, the end of Episode 6 with Danny's reaction to her brother's death. At the time, obviously, uh, this was seen as such a cool moment. We finally got Pisarius out of there. Evil dude. Danny looks badass. She's cool. But now when we connected to season eight, uh, Tyrion's line, wherever she went, evil men died, and we cheered her on. For me personally now, this is rewatching the scene for the first time. I really feel that connection to those words of I should have been paying more attention to Danny's reaction. Uh, though her relationship with her brother is complicated and he was an evil man. Uh, the way she's so cold in his death really shows that she's now willing to take on that rulership. She has been for a few episodes now, and she's willing to do whatever it takes to get there. And I feel like this is the first step in that tragedy. What about you guys? Do you guys think this is really showing that connection to that line in season eight? And what are your thoughts? Thank you. Great call, Jonathan. Great call. This is something that's been going through my head since season eight, Rachel. And you and I, you know, broke down the show with Lon and Andres back in the day and I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned. Let's take take the producer choices out, the director choices, maybe some writing mistakes, whatever. I, I, I want to engage with the story. Um, I think her fall is about also what how the world treated her just as much as her reacting. And, and not all of this is, quote unquote, her fault. There's a lot. There's This is complicated stuff. But I do agree with Jonathan. There's a bit of a slip here. And it's easy to cheer on this moment as, you know, quite frankly, it's one of my favorite moments in the show. Uh, and I do every time get, yeah, get him out of here. So I don't think she's wrong. But looking back, even as a in story, someone like Tyrion, this is an important moment to at least think about, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when she went Mad Queen in season eight, there was a lot of scrambling on most of our parts to look back and see if it added up. Mm-hmm. And like you said, producer choices, writing choices, and things that they did in season eight aside, Mm -hmm. there are absolute landmark moments Mm -hmm. that you can see add up to her going mad queen execution aside. So this is absolutely the first one. And it's so twisted because even on this rewatch, I still think she's right. Yeah. Like it's, and it's as I've realized it's as much about how Viserys has treated her and specifically in this episode, the way, you know, that he threatens her unborn child and everything else like it. He absolutely earned and deserved yeah. that. And based on everything that he did. Yeah, this this this. Yeah, sorry. The, yeah. So, the sword to me, of I mean, he's done a lot and it probably deserves. But that sword is his. You ain't coming back from that. That's your fatal mistake. Right. No, that you can almost see that turn on her face and the way she looks at Drogo when he comes over to her afterwards. And it's it's almost like a look of like, yeah, take him out. Like that yes. he is absolutely dead to me now. Um yeah. and uh what I what remember, I think remember that is, thing we talked about, honey? Now is yeah, the time. Now yeah, is we're the good. Time. Yeah, you've got the thumbs up here. But I think it's also about what we're seeing in this episode, which is Ned and Catelyn. And our heroes are slipping. They are not learning the lessons they need to learn in this harsh world to get the right thing done. You might have to do some bad things. Mm -hmm. So it's bad things with good intentions. Mm -hmm. 
in storytelling across the ages. Like it's, it's always there. So we're watching our heroes not accomplish the, the good things. They're not going about it right because this world is so gray and full of greedy people. And there's everybody's trying to manipulate everybody else and everybody's trying to get power. So you can't play by the rule book. Yeah. Bron didn't yeah. play by the rule book and he won. You know, Serio Pharrell tells Arya, you can't be nice. And just because you're feeling troubled, then, you know, your enemy's not going to attack you just because you're feeling troubled. That's not how the world works. Right. The world mm. will pretty much only reward those who are as harsh as it is. So Danny does the right thing yep. in a more authoritative way that actually accomplishes something important. Whereas we're watching all of these other people fail to do that. Yeah. And I think that we're looking at her going, okay, finally, somebody who's we root for, whose heart is in the right place, who is digging herself out of the worst possible set of circumstances. And who is standing up for what is right. And she's doing it in an authoritative way. She's yeah. doing it with, I mean, now you look at it as emotionless, yeah. but yeah, I yeah. don't, that's necessarily the correct way to look at it. She's looking at it. This has to be done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And combined with everything else that goes on later, you can see that she gets to that emotionless place or a misplaced version of her emotions, if you will. Yeah. I like but that. Yep. It, it's, it's very telling to me that I think we all root for her so much in this moment, not just because of what's happening to her, but what's happening to the other heroes in the story as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's you're you're hitting a home run there. That uh, that is uh, she because to me it's absolutely right. And all the other, I mean, what she does in Marine, what she does in in Karth, and I mean, she's she's doing a lot of things, uh, Yunkai, and 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 uh, getting the the unsullied. It's all like it's wins, and and I don't think there's these are mistakes. It's just this building block to, to what's coming. Because again, I, I think a lot of it is just as much as what happens to her and a comment on how they treat her specifically a, a, a woman, a queen coming to, to, to this land. I think, I think that's that quote. I always bring up about Dinklage that, that stuff was there, but to go back to this moment, I, yeah, I'm not, con I'm not conflicted at all. That guy deserved it. And it is yep. my favorite thing to watch. But then you, you put it all together. You're like, all right, step one, yeah. not a wrong step, but step one, some step, <laughs> some step yeah, forward. You can tell it, it's a slippery slope now. Yeah. I mean, if, if you are okay with this, then that makes yes. you more okay to do this, what you did in Karth. And then if you're mm -hmm. okay with that, then you're more okay with what you didn't ask for. And therefore, and so on, and so on, and so on. And yep. it's, it's you know, the, the, the villain is, is a hero in their own eyes. You know, they're doing the right thing in their own eyes. And the yes. series as a whole proves that people like Ned and John and Kat and whatnot are in the right and that they will win out in the long run to yeah. an extent, maybe not in the way that you suspect, but it's still the right way to go. But in this moment, we're like, damn it, Ned, yeah, <laughs> what are you uh, doing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to Danny, excellent point. This is, it's, it's, she's not, she's not feeling the water boil. I mean, she wouldn't, she's a dragon, right? Um, but yeah, the line, the line, that line's starting to move. It's starting to move. And, and eventually that line's going to get so blurred and, and maybe you don't know. And like you said, to justify it in your own mind. Cause again, this is justified. What a piece of crap. Get him out of here. What a death. One of my favorite yeah, moments. My favorite. Of all like the the real the villainous characters, look, Joffrey gets what's coming to him, Ramsey yeah. gets what's coming to him, even Roos, you know, there's some pretty nasty characters and I and yeah. and, and they all get some pretty 
spectacular deaths. But seriously, they did this in season one and they never topped it in my mind. <laughs> I, I, I don't think you're wrong because I think I think my favorite death is Lady Elena. Tell Cersei it was me. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. But this in terms of just like, oh, God, yeah, I like this show. As Poetic. Well. Yeah. And the sound and how they made it, the practical and all that kind of stuff. And and Harry Lloyd, uh, you know, Harry Lloyd. Um, he's fantastic. He's fantastic. He's fantastic in this show and really to set it up. All right. I think we've uh, looked at our themes um, before we end up doing another like two hour broadcast. Uh, we love talking about this. Um, uh, let's talk about some important foreshadowing, some things with more meaning, big and small. And then we'll get into some of our favorite moments, uh, lines and scenes. And then uh, and then we'll start looking towards the, uh, episode seven. So uh, important foreshadowing uh, from you, Rachel. Um, a lot of the stuff we talked with Theon and Rob, you know, yes. um, it's your duty to represent your house. You know, it's not your duty because it's not your house. Well, this is, you know, foreshadowing that Theon, if, if the Starks don't accept him, then he's going to turn to the house of his birth and things are going to go not so great down that road. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Sirio, uh, I love that scene in general. It's a, a, I could talk about it with, you know, one of my favorite moments, but mm. talking to Arya and he, and he just has all his Sirio lines, um, you know, mm. but the one that, mm. you know, ticks off the box of what's coming is, you know, how can you be quick as a snake or as quiet as a shadow when you are someone else? So it's like, it's an inverted no one. It's, you know, you have to learn these things because if you are Arya Stark in the moment when somebody attacks you and you're down or you're troubled or whatnot, you're, you're not going to win. So you have to become something else in order to be the fighter that you need to be. Yeah. Um, I wish to confess my crimes from Tyrion just because he gets to do it again <laughs> later on in one of my all time favorite episodes, which mm-hmm. is the trial laws of gods and men. Um, yeah. Tyrion was great in this episode with everything, but yeah. it, it's, it's great to hear that knowing, yep, this is going to come back in, in a much bigger way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the obvious one, you know, he was no dragon. Fire cannot kill a dragon. Yeah, <laughs> she's going to prove that twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, going back and really focusing on me watching this in 2011 and not seeing what's coming, like, you know, starting to get into the story and all that kind of stuff. But I wrote down, Danny still ain't burning, you know, yeah. and the egg thing. Yeah, the egg moment too. Eerie is, yeah. but Danny isn't. And it's just a fact that the fact that at this point I didn't go, huh, I wonder if she's a dragon just makes me embarrassed. <laughs> it makes me embarrassed, Rachel. <laughs> That's that's all there. Uh, yeah, other ones for me. I don't know if, if you get some more, we can toss them in there. But just Ned sending out Barracks on Darian. I know it's not Richard Dormer, but it, it's just one of those fun moments and just to know what's coming with that and the importance of that, how that kind of indirectly sends Barrack on his, his path and what uh, Barrack becomes to uh, you know some of Ned's family later on uh, in the final moments. Uh, Theon, we mentioned Theon saving Bran again, just going back to... Um, God's Wood in season eight, just seen that uh, come full circle. Meet Nosha, all that stuff. You mentioned the White Walkers are kind of mentioned again. Mans and the White Walkers. You forgot about them. Oh, oh, did you forget about them from the opening of, of episode one? They're still here. It's still going. Uh, and then I love, too, because, again, um, as a non-book reader in this point, 2011, that the Three-Eyed Raven is just kind of literally telling us a bunch of stuff. And, uh, we're going down the crypts. Nothing's going to go good for the Starks. And you're just kind of like, oh, cool. Raven's got three eyes. Again, <laughs> I feel embarrassed going back to a 2011 self. Yeah. So any other uh, foreshadowing things with more meaning for you there? No, I think that pretty much covers it. 
There wasn't. There was uh, not as every episode's full of them, but this one didn't have as many of those. Oh, last look and this and that. Um, so horrible episode. No, actually, one of one of my favorites. Uh, favorite moments, lines, and scenes. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, the Theo and the Rob scene. It's not your duty because it's not your house. It's just one of those like, I get it, Rob. I get it, but that's come on, man. <laughs> just. I love too that Brand just has a trait of blurting out who he is, even to his own detriment. I'm Brandon. Star- Shut up, kid. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, moments for, for you as well. Lines, scenes. Yeah, everything about the Rob and Theon thing struck me really mm. hard this time. You know, knowing the trajectories, and and even after Theon saves Brand's life, you know the way Rob reacts was the way that you shot that arrow. You could have impaled brand too Mm. and he's not as you know um happy or grateful as theon clearly wants him to be in that in that moment and again it's you know rob in that moment with brand being threatened lays down his sword yeah that's not something theon would do and so again it's just the, the the disparate ways of dealing with situations um and and how that's going to inform both of their journeys as they move forward. Mm. And I think that it's, it's just, it's kind of a smallish scene, but yeah. it resonates so much more for me on this rewatch than uh, it has before. It, it's same. I don't know what it is, Rachel. I, same, same. This sequence, because I've always focused on it for Bran and, and Osha and that stuff there and, and loved everything with Theon and Rob, but if I, it, it jumped out to me a lot more this time around. Yeah. So that's why we're doing this. Yeah. Um. We got to get to, I, I got to call about the God of Death scene. This is one of the all-time classics. It's on T-shirts, yes. for God's sakes. Uh, yeah. Donald Long has uh, got a great call here about that there. And, oh, I do have to say, uh, Donald Long, thank you. He's a longtime listener here to Cashflow Talk. He gifted me the A Fire Cannot Kill a Dragon book that's out now from James Hibbert at Entertainment Weekly. So I'm going to start reading uh, and really find out what George R. R. Martin thinks about all those scenes, Rachel. Nice. So here we go, Donald. Uh, thank you uh, for that. And thank you for the call. Here we go. Hey, Castro Talk. Just wanted to call in and get some extra highlight to the quote we hear in this episode. There's only one God, and his name is Death. And then what do we say to God of Death? Not today. And it became one of the most famous and recognizable quotes of the entire series. And it came out of a scene where Arya doesn't really have anything else going for it, to be honest. And it really is, quote, mostly associated with Arya. And that's something that she holds on to and follows throughout the rest of her journey, throughout the entire series, as she comes, if you want to say, proprietor of death. And then, and it comes almost full circle in season eight when she stares almost death and got a death in the face, if you want to call him that, the Night King in the final episode. And then I just want to give some extra love to the image that we see in this episode of Nestark and sitting on the Iron Throne. I think the first time we see somebody sitting on the Iron Throne in the series. Well, what could have been? Thanks. What could have been? What could have been, Ned? Just uh, toss uh, Jamie out of there uh, and sit there before uh, uh, Robert shows up. Yeah, this God of Death scene. I, the idea of uh, yeah Arya becoming the angel of death, so to speak, or in this case, the God of Death, especially after what... Uh, 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 Melisandre says, you know, early on and was a season three of like, I see you extinguishing many eyes and then we know what's happened. I don't know. I, l- I like that kind of take. Yeah, I do too. And I also like that, you know, as, as she becomes an angel of death and, and, you know, an arbiter of death in, in very serious ways. But I also, before she gets there, I always took it as she takes this as a mantra 
you know, what do you say to the God of death? Not today. And that's what gets her through the hard moments, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, and she should have been captured or killed so many times, but she has an inner strength and an inner will to, you know, fight those situations, find her way out of it any which way she can. And it eventually leads her to the house of black and white. And then, you know, a, a more intimate relationship with the God of death, if yeah. you will. But I like the, the last part of the mantra, not today. I feel like that is so wrapped up in her approach to surviving all the way through this to the end. Absolutely. And it comes to you in season one and this yeah. water dance and stuff. Yeah. I love it. This is what I love looking back there. Uh, some other moments for me, uh, uh, Goldwyn wars, uh, Goldwyn's wars, not soldiers. Like you mentioned, love that quote. I just love, I love everything about Tyrion at the Erie. I love everything is even his communications with Mard and, uh, Mord and, uh, and, and, and everything going on there, which you say, you know, again, the Lannisters, their gold and all that stuff is, is really thrown in her face here. But his trial by combat remains one of my favorite sequences of the show. show. And yeah. this episode just, again, has some of the most memorable. But for me, personally, as a fan, just uh, the, the, the crown for king scene, um, a lot of stuff going on with Ned and, and, and um, the, the Tyrion stuff and Bronn, because I just love Bronn so much. And all stand for the dwarf is, is a pretty uh, underrated line for me of just like, yeah, yeah, you will. Someone will. Uh, so I just love the sequence. I just, and, and whenever whenever I do a rewatch and I'm like, okay, because, you know, you're like, all right, it's a lot of episodes. I have to get through that. Like, oh, I get to go back to the Eerie and watch Tyrion get freed. I love this sequence, Rachel. I don't know. I just maybe I like the brutality. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Or the justice. Maybe I like the justice. We get, we, it's What's great about it, too, is we don't get a ton of action like that in season one. No. You know, the in the fight choreography and the idea behind it. We saw the fight last week. But what is so great about this fight and the way that it was choreographed and the way it was played by both actors and, and mm-hmm. everybody else in the scene, too, is that it's so demonstrative of how Braun operates. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to wear armor. I'm not going to use a shield. I'm going to duck out of the way. I'm going to make you hit columns with your sword. I'm going to throw guards in yeah. your face so that I can get out of the way. I'm not going to fight by the rules. And it's so well um, executed in that space with those people in oh, the moon door there and the true. way Liza and Robin and Catelyn's face, they always cut to her at the exact right time. She sees this slipping through her fingers as it's happening. And it's just a great sequence for all that it's saying, mm. literally, because it's going to free, free Tyrion, but also about the characters and their lives and who's on top and who's in got the power and how you lose it. And the small folk versus the, the high noble houses, like to have that many layers going on in a scene is pretty impressive. And it's well edited. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> uh, and it, it contains also one of uh, my favorite little runners there with Tyrion saying, I once brought a jackass and a honeycomb into a brothel, a joke he tries to finish, Five seasons later. Uh, yeah. And uh, you can uh, look online and find out the whole story there. Um, other tiny moments, and I want to hear some from you. For, I, I, Ver, Ver, uh, Viserys, not Varys, Viserys, for as bad as uh, he is and we don't like him. I do love that uh, when Daddy's eating the, the heart uh, of the horse and he's like, hope that wasn't my horse. It's, it's a low-key funny <laughs> moment for me. Which also, so my final thing, I'll stop blabbing, Rachel. I'm a Jorah. I'm a Jorah guy. You know that. Everyone, the whole world knows that. And... Yet here I stand, 
is one of just those there. You want to know who, who a man is? George's got some lessons to learn. He swims in his failure. He swims in his self-loathing. And he swims in his mistakes, and he makes a lot of them. He'll continue to make some of them. Uh, but this is this is one of the best drawer moments. I love it. Yeah, I meant to mention that when I was talking about what makes a man because it's so mm. It, it, it's so honest. Yeah. You know, like he, he recognizes the truth of what Viserys says. He also knows the truth about his entire situation, which we don't know yet, but we know now, you know, looking back on it. And so the, and yet here I am is so calm and certain in that moment that he is doing the absolute right thing in that moment to not let Viserys steal yeah. the eggs and take off. It's, you know, a man owns his, choices and his mistakes and his situation and to be that clear about it is it a really great delivery of that line i agree with you doesn't loyalty mean something to you it means everything to me when yet here you stand and yet here i stand oh god i love it oh jorah you break my heart sometimes but i love you uh any other favorite moments or lines from uh, you rachel um, I love, if we're talking Viserys, because uh, I think that it's just applicable to the series, um, the line that Viserys has is, who can rule without wealth or fear or love? And I just, every character who is after power is trying to find the answer to that, to find the balance of that. You know, Danny in season eight, when and she's got her council of people and Elena's telling her one thing and Asha's telling her a different, not Asha Yara, is telling her something yeah. else. Um, and, and everybody is telling you what the best way to rule is. And the series sort of ends with a a human being can't do it. So we're going to put, you know, the three-eyed raven up there. Because right. at this point, we have learned every type of human being has tried to rule this land. And every last one of them has either been corrupted by power, even if they had good intentions, or was killed because of it, or was, you know, manipulated, or was, there's always an or, there's always a, Mm -hmm. this is a pretty much impossible job. And it's really interesting to me that it's Viserys who delivers that, because he's the one struggling, because he's watching Danny win over the Dothraki in a way that he has never experienced. People have fawned over him but not in any kind of genuine way. And yet these people love her and his delivery of that line too. was yes. like so incredulous and hurt. I'm like, he's such a little boy in that moment of like, I don't understand that was supposed to be me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. God, this is a great episode. It really is. <laughs> uh, and as Aria says, seven hells to Sansa. Uh, too. Uh, any final moments for you? Um, nope. Uh, well, okay. I'll, uh, what is the one? There's a, the Tyrion, Tyrion at the Eyrie, as you mentioned, is, yeah. is, is incredible. But one of the things that he does with, um, he's trying to argue with Mord yes. and trying to get his point across. And like the first attempt, he's trying to say he has gold and Mord's like, it's not on you. So shut up and leaves. Yeah. And the second time Tyrion's like, okay, how do I outthink a stupid person? Yeah. How do I like get him to do what I want? Um, and uh, and my favorite Tyrionism is, you know, I don't have the gold. Sometimes possession is an abstract concept. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 
so true and so Tyrion, but so lost on somebody like Mord. <laughs> and, and so true for the Lannisters, as we learned. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, all that stuff. All that stuff is the best, which is why one uh, of the episode stars, we always like to talk about specific episode stars. I, I say Jerome Flynn, but also Peter Dinklage. And he'll probably get that episode award from us a lot during the series. But this is this is some great work, man, with what's going on at the area. Love it all. Yeah, it's Tyrion being very Tyrion, outthinking his situation, manipulating the people around him, Liza, Catelyn, Vardis, even Bronn to some extent. I mean, he didn't know Bronn was going to step up, but, you know, the certain yeah. – I kn- you know that that was the kind of person he was trying to appeal to yeah. in that situation, a, a, essentially like a greedy person who doesn't care about the honor and duty of it all. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, – but I would I was going to give star of the episode to Harry Lloyd because this is the last that we see of him. And I do I really love the the battle that he has with himself. Um, you know, when when she says, then you shall have it. Mm. And the mm. change in his demeanor yeah. is like he like I said, he turns into like that little boy is like, that's all I ever wanted. Yeah. Like, we're fine. Right. Like he just it, it, it's that switch and it, it's, it's just the con the concept of the, the maturity that he lacks to, yeah. to be able to grasp the real situation of what's happening around him. But um, he had a lot of great scenes and, uh, and right up until the end, I, I thought that, you know, he was, he's a great addition to the show for the short time that he was on. He was, he was, no, it needed, needed. It really sets the tone going forward and his death. Uh, I, I talked about Jory Cassell, uh, in episode five, uh, his death uh, at, 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 in that fight uh, with Jamie and everything—it's it, the first. It was, it was for me. It was like, oh, oh, a character I thought would be around is is dead, and then and then Viserys, you know, again not being familiar with the story, like, oh God, that got me, and and still and still Ned gets me later on there. Yeah. Uh, we got one call left here. We're gonna talk about uh, Robert's truth from our friend Eric Monroe. Hey, Ken and Cashley Talk. So episode six, The Golden Crown, um, another great episode. I want to talk about the scene between Robert, Ned, and Cersei. Now, I am a Robert Baratheon fan, but I have to tell you, I absolutely cringe when he hits Cersei. I don't like it. He himself even says, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I think that's a big reason why um, she tells Joffrey, you know, a king should never hit his lady because she was hit. So... Another thing about the scene, you know, Robert admits, he openly admits he never loved Stannis and Renly. He, he says to Ned, you know, it's a horrible thing to say, but it's the truth. You're the brother I I chose. And Stannis confirms it in season two that it was mutual. And, of course, Robert also lets slip, you know, how powerful Tyrion Lannister is. You know, Ned wants him to go after Jaime. And he's like, no, I'm half a kingdom in debt to his father. So it always it shows me that Tywin was always the true power in King's Landing. And Tywin is coming, so I kind of kept this call for the end. We, we talked a lot about what Eric said, and Eric, excellent points. Yeah, tough scene to watch. And I, I generally, I like Robert. I root for him. I, I root for the man he once was and that he could be again, but he just makes some mistakes here. But as far as Ty, Tywin is coming, here comes Tywin next week. He's coming along. Uh, and it is uh, interesting to really, this is the first real solid mention of Tywin's position in the land. Yeah, this goes back to, you know, Peter and Ned talking about, you know, um, Goldwyn's war is not men. And the idea that the hand, Ned doesn't realize it in the right way, the the power that the hand wields. And Tywin Lannister was the hand for a very, very long time under uh, Ares. So, you know, the he's a master manipulator and person who understands that you do not have to be the most powerful person in the land 
ostensibly as the king to actually be the most powerful person in the land. And, you know, all of the talk about Lannisters and gold and being in debt and Lannisters paying their debts and, you know, always pay their debts. It's, you know, all, all, everything, the groundwork is all being laid for what is one of my favorite character introductions for anybody. Mm. You know, when you get when you get to that scene and whoever gets to cover that with you and whatnot, like yeah. Tywin skinning a deer as his introduction is one of the better, more yeah. brilliant, you know, touches by the uh, the writers and the, and the uh, showrunners on on this yeah. uh, show. So I think I think it's, yeah. it's going to have to be you, Rachel, next week. So clear your schedule. <laughs> clear your schedule. Uh, yeah, here comes Daddy Lannister. He is on his way. All right, we are uh, starting to wrap up here. Another look at uh, an episode, a very important episode. Gosh, I really do love this episode of Golden Crown, episode one, season six. And next week, we are going to be looking at what I've always said, and, I, and I'm curious to go back and really watch this now after all eight seasons are done. I've always said, and on, on the Collider show and on the the uh, Screen Junkie show, I always said that, that episode seven, you win or you die, was to me kind of the quintessential best episode, like what Game of Thrones can do and what it what it should do every episode. It, it sets high standards. So I don't know. I'm curious to go back and watch it and, and really take a deep dive into it. So, Rachel, uh, you know, we'll work it off. Uh, you know, if you're busy, you're busy. But, you know, you got to watch Ty- Tywin skin a deer with me, right? You know? Come on. I would love to join you. We'll, we'll, we'll check in. We'll, we'll see how the, the work schedule goes. It's but, a busy uh, week for all of us. Uh, all right. We're uh, out of here here in Castle Talk. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons it is very busy is this live show I'm preparing for. It's uh, Riley's Cantina live Saturday night, October 10th, 7 p.m. Pacific. We are live streaming from El Cid on the world famous Sunset Strip. Uh, special guests, a lot going on. A uh, world premiere, a music video from Eric Bass from Shinedown. Uh, surprises. Uh, you can go to TicketWeb.com or go to KenNapsock.com and uh, get tickets there. And as we said up top, one of the guests, in fact, in person, in studio from El Cid will be Rachel Cushing talking Star Wars because she loves that, too. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, Rachel, looking forward to that. I am, too. I can't wait to see you guys in person to talk Star Wars, drink wine, and Zoom it all to all the fans out there. Thank you guys so much for supporting us in our various geeky endeavor shows. Um, and as always, you can follow me on Rachel J. Cushing, Twitter, Instagram, all that jazz. And don't forget about Schmodown backstage on Tuesdays. That's me and right. Ben Bateman. You and Bateman, Ben the Boss, doing that. Yeah, like Rachel said, give her a follow. You can also follow me at Ken Napsuck or go to my website, KenNapsuck.com, for all the things I do. That is it for this week. We're going to go figure out how you win or you die when you play the Game of Thrones. We'll see you next week here on Casterly Talk. Casterly Talk.